Hello, hello, everybody. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we have something a little bit different for you all. This is going to be an interview of myself, yours truly, Akil Jabbar, by my good friend, TK Catter. So I was on his podcast show, his new one that just came out, Scotch and SaaS. And I thought I'd share a bit of it of my background and myself and my knowledge in the M&A and investment space with the with SaaS companies that I work with. So I thought it might be helpful to my fellow SaaS founders listening in. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And please make sure to leave a review on iTunes with your feedback. I'd really, really appreciate it. Well, let's dig into, so it's Thanksgiving. Sure. How do you explain to grandma what you do at Horizon Capital and what you guys focus on? Very simple. We find investors. We work with investors and we also invest some of our own money and we look for software companies and we, we acquire them. So we take majority stake. We don't do minority investments. We take over the businesses and we try to well, we implement our playbook and we try to grow the business. So essentially that's what we do. B2B SaaS specifically. I don't know if grandma would understand what that is, but software is that sell to other businesses to keep it simple. Yeah, we only do B2B SaaS on this show. So they, right. do. okay. they don't, in fact, they don't understand anything else. Basically, that's all okay. we do. <laughs> that's the only kind of SaaS that's worth, but I'm sure there's other kind of SaaS, but that's the only kind of SaaS that I like. So yeah, let's dig into that a little bit because I think one of the one of the big things that I've been thinking about a lot is it's a great time to bootstrap SaaS businesses. And mm. what I mean by that is I think that the e- economies of scale have reached a point with AWS and everything else. The access to engineering talent globally has reached a cost more than anything else. And the number of niche industries that are willing to adopt SaaS has exploded, which makes it a perfect point where you don't need to do a massive total addressable market. You can go super niche and bootstrap a SaaS business. And then lo and behold, there are buyers like you at Horizon Capital that are willing to buy these SaaS businesses at a certain premium. Exactly. Is that your investment thesis? Like, how do you think about what's the profile of the business, SaaS business, that is just like perfect for you? Like, what do you look for in a great deal? So, start off first thing we look at is B two B SaaS, obviously, and then the next step we look at is the size. So, we're not looking for any of these big VC backed companies that are you know growing extremely fast. We look at that sweet spot of say five hundred k of. ARR up to about 5 million ARR. We're looking to move up maybe into higher amounts, but Canada, US, Europe, we're actually just LY right now with a company in in Australia, also fully bootstrapped. And then we look at stuff like churn. Are they churning something like less than 5% per month? Do they have a lifetime value of over 1,500? Kind of that's our spot. And then another thing we look at is is the distribution of the revenue streams generally spread out evenly among clients or does like one client represents, say, more than 30% of the earnings? Or is one uh, channel of marketing, take, or one page you know, that for the traffic they get, getting 30% of the traffic, and if they lose that keyword, they lose all their leads. So the risk, we look at a high level. In terms of total addressable market, yeah, we're open. We, like, we, don't, go over, we don't care about a billion-sized TAM. We look for the small niche markets, and I love those, those bootstrap companies. That's what yeah. we like to play with. Yeah. So I have, what I'm hearing is, I have a B2B SaaS business. I have quality revenues being it's a pretty good distribution across multiple customers. It's healthy revenue. Have churn relatively under control and yeah. people love the product. 
and probably focus on a niche. And maybe I've bootstrapped or maybe I've done VC, but the growth rate is now at a point where it's healthy, but not VC fundable. So now I'm like operating the business and maybe it's turning a profit. Is that right? Exactly. So we look, yeah, break even. We don't do anything that's burning cash, break even or, or cash flow positive. And yeah, healthy growth, 5%, 10%, 25%. We're happy. We don't need 200, 300% year over year growth. Yeah, got it. So I've got a healthy SaaS business and not VC, ba- uh, VC uh, category. Like it'll print money. That's what it is. And I always think of SaaS businesses as like apartment buildings. Like you just buy the units and buy a building and it just prints money. Those are, that's what it's becoming in a way. <laughs> And you can own multiple apartment buildings and just print even more money, multiple units. It's like real estate almost. That's, that's what it's getting to because you can systematically run these businesses. So let me ask you this. What would you say, if I've got a healthy business that's like break even or printing some money, what, is, what are the top three reasons founders sell at this stage to you? Uh, so typically we see a few reasons. I would say one is so they're first-time founders. They've been running this for about... I don't know, three years, five years, seven years down the road. And I guess they reach at a point where they've either burnt out. So they've been managing this, grinding it day over day, and they're not growing it as fast as they want, or they just want to move on to another project. They, I think all entrepreneurs face that shiny object syndrome kind of uh, issue. And then you, you reach to a certain point and you feel like, I just want to move on to another project. So that's when they come to us and say, hey, would you guys be interested to take over? The second part is, I would say, is they hit a point in the growth trajectories that they just don't know where else to take it, how to grow it anymore. So maybe their break-even or their expertise is typically product-led. So that's the founders we like, who are very focused on building really good products. And you usually find you have those two types of founders, right? Those are really good at the, the marketing and growth side and the others who are just love to obsess about the product and the customer experience, which is great. Um, so they come to us, we see, okay, this is a great product. We see the opportunity to take this to the next level. Let's work together, take this off your plate. And then sometimes they want to roll over some equity so they get part of the upside, which we're open to. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and uh, try to grow from there. And how, what does that look like from your side? I, I was part of Marketo. Marketo was owned by Vista, which is the big daddy PE firm for B2B SaaS. Like, and, and I think they're the gold standard. How, do you, how does your model work? What happens after you buy mm-hmm. the business? And maybe the founder has some equity stake. They're helping you transition. What happens to the yeah. business? What happens to my baby after I sell it to you, basically? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a very important point. We're very sensitive about that. We understand people want their baby taken care of. And generally, they've been happy with that decision. But the first thing we come in is, I think we like with solo founders, it's usually you running the show. You're doing everything by yourself. So what we try to do is come in and try to put maybe better management structure in place. So we actually put our own CEO in place and then have a process and then playbook that we apply. So during that due diligence process, we look at areas that we think uh, we can capitalize on, we can grow uh, on the marketing, product side, leadership, setting KPI, setting structure, setting rhythms. And then they also have support. As a founder, you're usually doing this all alone. You don't have other founders maybe to talk with as much. So we have that support and they become part of our network of companies because you know, we have other portfolio companies or we have partners we've worked with as part of, of as Horizon and we can cross-promote with each other and then you leverage our, our growth marketing expertise. So if you're a seller, you come in, we take over your baby, we put in a, a proper CEO, we put in the support, the structure, and then we start adding in expertise on, on the marketing side that we know we can hit in some quick wins on. Got it. And so for you guys, is it like a, are you like a holding company where you have shared resources for growth and marketing and sales? Or do you recruit a team for this asset that you just bought to augment them and reach the value creation thesis? Like, how do you guys 
execute on the post-purchase phase. Mm-hmm. So we have one one CEO that would come in, a, center, a manager or CEO that would take over. And then, yeah, we have a shared resources. So we also have an agency that we acquired. So we, we they know how to apply our playbook and they know what we, we need to do to turn around the company. And they come in and execute on each of these companies. That's cool. And, yeah. That's such a great setup. Okay, so I'm going to go a little bit further on this real estate analogy. Sure. Uh, and yeah. and be, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. So in the real estate world, you have mm-hmm. these apartment buildings and these apartment buildings, you buy an apartment building and they just prints out rent and people come in and go, but it prints out rent and there's a profit. And, mm-hmm. and then there's usually a management company. And the management company has the playbook on how to run the apartment buildings and sometimes they own multiple apartment buildings. Correct. And so the analogy here is that Horizon Capital is kind of the management company and they own multiple apartment buildings and multiple apartment buildings are these SaaS businesses because SaaS businesses are becoming more and more predictable and we know the playbook, we know how to run them well. Does that make sense so far? I'm not crazy. No, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense, yep. Yeah, okay. So then do you think if you pull on like how that has evolved in the real estate industry, mm-hmm. now you have things like house flippers, people that buy a uh, like dated house and then they run their playbook to fix it up, fix fix like certain things and then they sell it to another buyer and then they take a cut. Right. Do you yeah. think that's going to happen too, where there's SaaS flippers, like where you buy SaaS businesses and there's a playbook to like clean things up and then you flip it to a larger management company and they manage it till the end of time or and keep getting the EBITDA and profits out of it? Absolutely. I think it's already been there. And I think, I think you still have to know what you're doing. I think the level of technical expertise with SaaS, I think, is a little bit more complex Definitely more complex than real estate. So to give you some background, I understand real estate. I think I got into you know some real estate rental properties. I still have some in Canada. They're nice, but they're slow, right? There's I look at it more of like a 20-year investment. And then I moved into investing in businesses, you know, I have a physical business, still own it, but it's not as scalable. And then it requires me to be in one place and it's a little bit different. And then I moved into online businesses. So I actually bought my first like content publisher website, which was an affiliate site. Well, I think if you're looking to just start off and make those flips, I think something like an affiliate website is probably easier to learn. Whereas I think something like SaaS, you have to understand development. You don't have to manage developers. You have to understand product and making changes with UX. Uh, There's more clients involved. There's a lot more uh, moving parts, I would say, versus real estate. So I think with real estate, maybe uh, it's probably easier to do those flips. And, uh, but I, I do think with maybe simpler, very simple products that maybe run on autopilot, uh, I think that model might work better. And you'll see a lot more of those flips. And this is part of the game, right? This is, that's a different profile of how you want to invest. Do you want to be that management company and build for the long term? Or do you want to just make a quick buck? And I think that's just what, what's preference for you as an investor. Yeah, that's funny because when I think about fixing a SaaS business, I'm like, yeah, all day long, I'll do it. Just mm-hmm. let me add it. Let me look at your financials and your product and the market and... I'll come back with you with three growth strategies. When I think about flipping a house, I'm like, I have to go to Home Depot. Like that sounds like that's so scary. To me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I guess it's all relative, depending on I didn't know you actually come from a real estate background. So does this analogy works even better than there's a relative strengths thing there as well. Exactly. So for you, you're buying these companies, like what kind of for the founders out there that are now like, hey, that sounds cool. There's buyers mm-hmm. for my SaaS business, it's healthy. Mm-hmm. What kind of multiples are founders to expect? How do you think about pricing and valuation in a market like this? 
Yeah. So I think that's usually the first conversation we'll normally have with a founder is around that valuation. Because unfortunately, I think with Silicon Valley and what we see with VC, I think that's in the mindset of what people have of what to expect for their valuation. We'll look at your PNL. We'll look at your real numbers. We don't look as much as the future, because if it was the future, I think it would have already reached that point. But mm-hmm. we look at historical. What have you done so far? Where are you trending? We'll look at your Google Analytics, your, your profile there. And then we'll see if we're in the same ballpark. So what I mean by same ballpark is typically, let's say you're at a break even, we're paying anywhere between 2 and 3x your ARR. So if you're making, uh, you're at a million dollars in ARR right now, we'd pay probably somewhere between, you know, two to three million, depending on your growth rate and that checklist. We have a checklist of things that we created, which, which like puts out a, spits out a scorecard. So high level, we look at five points, your product, how easy is it to replicate? How difficult is it to manage the market? Is it a growing market or, or a dying market? We look at your financials. We'll look at your operational metrics, things like churn, LTV, all that stuff. And then your team, like the company profile, the organization. Is there SOPs? Is there teams in place? Is there is it basically run on autopilot or does it require us to come in and come in with another team? So within that area, we have 25 plus things we check off and, and measure. And then we come up a score out of 100. Uh, and then we we'd, yeah make an offer somewhere between 2 to 3x ARR. Or some people use EBITDA as well. And generally, we're paying in around that 4 five and a half, probably a bit of range. Got it. Yeah. One of the books that I've seen come up often is this book called Built to Sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, creating a business that can thrive without you. Have you read it or have you come across it? I've read it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the... Is, is it the follow-up of the uh, the other one? What's the other? Built to Last. Yeah. Built to Last, yeah. I, I don't know if it's the same authors, actually. I, I never thought about that, but it's very possible. Yeah. It's by John Warlow and Bull Burlingham. I'm a big fan of Bull Burlingham. He's... And yeah. I think what you're saying is so true. Like, I think a lot of times the founders are so deeply entrenched in the business, it's not a business that is easily sellable and therefore it hurts valuation and the retention packages are off. And so I think maybe talking a little bit around what can founders do so that their businesses are more likely to be bought? Not from like a fake thing, but what are good business Mm -hmm. practices that you should put into place early in your business so that it just makes it for a better asset eventually to exit. Yeah, it's funny. When you talk to a VC, like they're, a lot of it is betting on the, not the horse, they're betting on, yeah, they're betting on the horse. Uh, so which is like the founder themselves and making sure they're involved and they're being able to manage the company effectively. Whereas we, we actually prefer you to be as least involved as possible. So it's the opposite. So make yourself replaceable, make yourself out of the day-to-day, Let show that your company can be managed without you being involved so that the risk is not so tied to you. So for example, like relationships with your your clients, are they dependent on your relationship? And we've seen that before where you have one big client that's dependent on you. And as soon as that transition happens, a few months later, they leave because that, that relationship and that client and that revenue was highly tied to the owner. So that's one thing. Have SOPs in place. Those processes are important, right? Do you understand the business? Somebody coming in from the outside make it as easy for them to come in and just everything as clean as possible. Your books are clean. I think that's a huge one. Financials, they're all up to date. You've got your accountants, have everything tracked and in order. And then having training and SOPs for anybody, if you were to hire any team member was to change, it would be easy to make that transition. Got it. And if there are founders listening, they're like, you know what? I think I want to sell my business. What is Mm -hmm. the first step? Whether it's with Horizon or with anyone, like how do you go about Mm -hmm getting your SaaS business sold? 
Uh, so there's two ways. You've probably been through one. I believe you had a, you hired an MA kind of advisor. Get get all your documents. Make sure your you have a plan in place and on the back end that you're ready to sell both emotionally. It is it does take a um, a toll on you emotionally because there's a lot of time involved. Sellers are going to ask you a lot of questions. They're going to dig in. They're going to want to understand everything. So just be prepared for that. I'll say first thing, and then once you're ready to sell, there's there's two kind of sellers out there. One is a strategic buyer. So I think you've been that with Marketo where a bigger player would come in and try to absorb you and that you, they look to, to acquire you. If you're going to go down that route, I, I think you probably better want to speak to a, an M&A advisor who has those connections. We also offer that as well. Or look for a financial buyer and start reaching out to them and, and seeing if there's interest. You can talk to some of your competition as well. Maybe there's some of your bigger comp- competitors might be interested in, in absorbing you. And start preparing everything. Make sure you have everything ready. So when they ask for it, it's not taking a long time to give them access for what they need. So uh, that makes a ton of sense. And, and by the way, on my YouTube channel, I have a whole video on how to create an exit strategy. So I'll link to it in the show mm-hmm. notes. So nice. I think everyone should have an exit strategy. And I agree with what Akil said. I think you want to make sure you get your financial financials in order because that's the biggest thing. And that's what buyers will really look at. So from your, I want to wrap here with this one thing. Like, Akil, you get to see, I would imagine, an enormous number of SaaS businesses inside out You get with, an X, with X-ray vision. What would you say is the one thing the best of them do really well, the founder really prioritizes? Like between the, out of all the ones you've seen, what's the one pattern that keeps coming up for the ones that you're like, this is a great business? What are they doing? I think it goes back to what I mentioned. They just built a solid product. I think they've, you can just see the amount of detail they put in into how much they care and they thought through the entire user experience, the onboarding, the team they have. And that's another thing too, is like the quality of the team that they hire. Are they people with, with, with actual experience who know what they're doing and they've been sticking around for a while? But I would say, yeah, it comes back to, to the product. If you built a good product and you can see that the users love it, for me, that gets me excited. Yeah. I think that's something that's, uh, as a founder, when I was a first time founder, I didn't fully understand. I'm naturally uh, drawn mm-hmm. to product. Like okay. when there's an acquirer, now I'm more distribution driven, you learn. But when an acquirer is involved, typically the mental math they're really doing is the product freaking awesome because I already know how to do sales and marketing. So I know I can go to town as long as the product's great. And that's really the how they look at the math, not so much on if your marketing person's good enough or not. It's is the product awesome? The product's awesome, boom, I'll plug it into my machine and we'll go make it go boom, type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so you can, you know, tie it back to real estate. Is this is it like the foundation is there? Do they really have nice location? Those things you, you can't change. Really nice the size of it. And then you come in, you're like, we're changing floors, we're changing windows, we're changing this kitchen counter sink. Boom, we're gonna double the rent. That's how we look at it's it. Gonna, it's I love it. We just came <laughs> we just came full circle on the real estate. It's gotta have good bones and a good location. <laughs> exactly. Okay, yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time today to be on this podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we can dig so much more into investment thesis and valuations and due diligence. And if for the founders listening, you guys want to have a kill back and have more questions, let us know. TK at getunstoppable.com. Maybe we can have you back for a deeper Q&A session where we dig more into like exactly how a deal process goes. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. Next time we'll have a scotch for sure, though. <laughs> yeah, that, if due diligence is involved, it'll have to be 
with scotch. I 100%. It's a must. Yeah. <laughs> Trigger warning right there. Okay, well, thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to be on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me, TK. Awesome. If you liked this episode, please let us know by tweeting out this episode and mentioning us. There's a click to tweet link in the episode description below. And remember, everyone needs a strategy for their life and their business. But when you're with us, yours will be unstoppable. I'm TK, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.